shining a beacon on the bazaar. Bit of a busy one. Everything's looking all right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. ship shape, my old mucker. Ship shape. It's nice. So let's have a quick take off. We've uh, got like all polished. Um, we've had fish fingers for his tea again. Yeah, I've yeah. mopped and swabbed the decks. Everything's good. Yeah, I think we've got everything done. I think there's something missing. I don't know. I've, I've had that weird feeling as well. But no, it's all good, mate. Look at it. Shining. <gasps> what? Oh, casting. Oh shite! Oh, oh my no. god! Bloody hell fire! <laughs> Have we forgotten that? This is terrible. That's what makes Crack and Cove the podcast that shines the beacon on the bizarre. Without that <laughs> shit, we're now... Oh, bugger. Oh, listen, listen, listeners, we are so sorry. Oh, soz. We just totally forgot. We haven't been that busy. We've got chores and that. We've done right. Well, no wonder it's spick and span. We haven't been doing as many chores. <laughs> That's him. But he does look good here at it Crack does. and Cove, Absolutely it? spotless. All ready for Christmas. Mm, lights <laughs> are up. Even more lights than usual. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it more of a more of a reason to cast out, you know. Yeah, but the only issue we've got, you see, um, is if we want to get this episode out now for Friday. Oh shit! It's yeah. Wednesday, arcade. We're gonna have to do a rough and ready one, aren't we? Really? Yeah. <laughs> keep it basic. Not we're gonna keep fancy-ish. it basic. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm afraid this time we're just gonna have to drop a few of the sound effects a little bit here and there, and a few bit of the extra music. But but it's all about the stories, isn't it? That's it's the casting that counts, Arkin. It's the casting that counts, <laughs> I like it, you know? So without further ado, should we get stuck in? Let's go for it, dude. Let's You're Matt and I'm Benny, let's crack on. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we need. <laughs> Matt and Benny at Crack and Co, yeah. <laughs> Well, I think, again, we need a bit of a catch-up with what's been going on recently, as far as our fr- your friend of mine, the monolith is concerned. <laughs> it's a belter. Please tell me it's real. Is it, is it not just me, or is it just the best thing that's happened in 2020? Yeah, absolutely, man. There's gold ones popping up everywhere, yeah, man. There's coloured just... ones and all sorts, you know. Well, one of my favourite ones was the one in Utah, in uh, California. Because yeah. I've seen the one in Utah. That's yeah, popped yeah, up, all you know? views now. So... The one, the Christian group tears down mysterious monolith on California mountain. Whoa, Christian! <laughs> Christians, oh, you might know them buggers are getting involved, with <laughs> <aren't> you? <laughs> like a load of scrap metal dealers or yeah, something. What were they Christian. doing? <laughs> well, that's the thing you can't. They can't just leave out alone, can Jeez, they, Christians? They get not to do with them. He's uh, have to stick the fucking hell. beacon everywhere. Don't they? <laughs> so, shall we have a look? Because this yes, is one from, Yeah, this is one from the Guardian, right? And it's a group of young men claiming to be Christians have posted a video of themselves tearing down a mysterious monolith that had appeared atop a California mountain and replacing it with a cross. <gasps> oh, bloody hell. That I mean, what a load of killjoys. That is just <laughs> awful. I tell you, even Jesus wouldn't thank him for no, that, would he? No, it probably might be Jesus that did it. <laughs> <laughs> What have you done? He's been up there going, uh, hey guys, can we just have a little bit less with the crucifix? Let's, let's just have a nice shiny monolith. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Let's cheer 2020 I, up. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got a few bad memories about the old cross. <laughs> yeah, you keep bringing it up, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty bad day. <laughs> 
so these town clowns rock up, right? So, and he says the monolith had been built near the town of Atascad. Atascadero. Oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? Does. Yeah, Fancy yeah. Name. And sparked huge interest after the appearance of a similar silvery metal-faced monolith that had been discovered in the deserts of Utah. The original monolith, which attracted hundreds of sort of curious sightseers and all this sort of stuff, was uh, they say was actually destroyed by visitors. You know. Yeah, I heard a little bit about it. Yeah. Who do you do that? They just four men came stomping in, kicked it down, just took it away, just scratched really? the floor, and the last words were "leave no trace." Is yeah. that what they did? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah someone wow. photographed it. A really bad uh, amateur photographer. Well, um, it, it, these, according to a report in the San Luis Obispo Tribune newspaper, good one again, mm-hmm. catchy <laughs> title, <laughs> very snappy. <laughs> in a video which was live-streamed and posted online, a group of young men drive through Southern California to tear down the structure. Under cover of darkness, they hike up to the structure and tear it down while chanting, Christ is King! (gasps) They then erect a homemade cross in its place and drag the remains of the monolith down the mountain to their car. During the video, the men also make offensive comments and drink substantial quantities of energy drinks, (laughs) whilst also also referencing Donald Trump and the QAnon conspiracy theory, and their mission is to demonstrate... How much we love Jesus. Wow, so they erected a cross. The only erection they've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody incels, every oh, one of them. Man. But the, the, the vandalism has angered local officials. We are upset to see these young men felt the need to drive five hours to come into our community and vandalise the monolith. Atascadero's mayor, Heather Moreno, said in a news release. Good. The monolith was something unique and fun in an otherwise stressful time. Oh, thank God we've got a decent mayor somewhere. Somebody's Jeez. using their head. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the first one in Utah, they were saying, because it was such a, an out-back out area that yeah. no one goes to, they were literally just pouring rubbish all over it. The, the dookie's got the problem, you know. They were just being full of shit round there. You were just shitting everywhere with well, people. D- well, did you know this is a problem throughout a lot of the American national parks? What, dookie? Yeah, they've got, they've got, they've got to have, like, shit wardens now and oh stuff like this. Oh, my God. Yeah, these basically, because what's happened is a lot of people are doing, like, outback stuff, like outback trekking, and they're digging these, like, what they call field latrines. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many of them doing it. There's basically what's happening is all this human shit oh. is seeping into the water system and polluting the water. So all these guys think they're all like, oh, we're great outbacks, man. Yeah. We're woods people. <laughs> and they're all taking the shit in the woods like the big old bears. Right? <laughs> but they're actually poisoning, contaminating all the wilderness. Oh. And so then when they've been there, they think, I'll leave nothing but footsteps. Take away nothing but memories. <laughs> then this poor warden has to march up there. Oh. Dig all their shit dig out. Dig all the duke up. They're, yeah. just, they're doing a pop in the woods all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, fuck that. Oh, you know what I mean? Just weird. leave it, man. Yeah, Bang it up. It. Humans, we're just a cancer on the planet. Oh, oh no, we're right, all mess. <laughs> <laughs> no. But the thing is, as well, another monolith did appear recently in our own neck at Woods. Yeah. Really, you know what I mean? Is that the Isle of White one? Isle of White one. Ooh, I don't know much about this one at all. Well, so we've got um, a designer has told the BBC he erected the monolith on a ah. British beach in tribute to the others, which have popped up around the world. And it's this guy. He's called Tom Dunford. And who lives on the island? And he, I did it. He says I did it purely for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah, I like that. You know, he's only twenty nine. Is this guy? Love it. He says if the aliens are coming down, I think they'd go for the safest place, which is the Isle of Wight in tier one of COVID restrictions. <laughs> tier one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go on, lucky bastards. Oh man, yeah. I know that's, that's great that they do, they've got a tier one. Well yeah. done. 
That's I think so. British people in the tier one. I think that's it in Cornwall. He says Mr. Dunford said he told a few trusted friends and relatives about his plan before he drove down to the beach at four uh, four a.m. on Sunday to install it. And he said, "I'm one of these guys. Once I get a creative streak, I have to just go for it." Oh, yeah, it's yeah, I like that. That's lovely. But apparently, loads of people have come to see it. There's been yeah, a bit yeah. of a big, big buzz around it. You know, it's, 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 it's yeah. positive. It's, we need some positive energy flowing out there. Yeah. So um, I think the, uh, they've actually sort of they've been closely monitoring the beach to make sure that like, no people's getting too close to each other. You know, that sort yeah, of yeah, so yeah. being careful, but everyone's still really enjoying the uh, enjoying oh, monolith. That's beautiful. That's Day of the beach. That's it. Day of the beach. See, that's it. See, you see your favourite erection on the beach. <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> There's worse things you could be doing than going to go see a monolith on beach, isn't there, during oh, lockdown, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Because everyone's a bit bored, aren't yeah, they? You know? Queue outside a garden centre or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we've got a story here of somebody's taking things a bit too far, in my opinion. Oh, like. yeah. And it's, not, it's not, a, not a pervy thing or anything, but this is from the Norwich Evening News, and this caught my eye. And it's, man denies running Japanese restaurant from Norwich home for the third time. <laughs> Whoa, so I say that again. So a man denies running a Japanese restaurant <laughs> from his Norwich home for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> from his home. I hope it's so suburban. I hope it's all on a main street or out. Oh, come on. <laughs> a man has denied running a Japanese restaurant from his Norwich home for the third time, but he's facing a fresh probe after reports of customers dining in during lockdown. <laughs> Claims have been made that Mr. Williams' firm, uh, Orlando's, served food to multiple diners in November, which would breach both coronavirus laws and planning regulations. But Mr. Williams is Orlando Williams, that's his name. Because <laughs> it's so un-Japanese, it's untrue. It's not, he's black. <laughs> that's, it's, yeah, that's brilliant, it's I love, love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I don't know where he's got his thing for Japanese food or anything like that, you know. But... <laughs> Is it Mr. Williams who has permission to run a bed and breakfast but not a restaurant denies uh, all allegations? <laughs> Imagine the old setup in his house. Oh, that's basically what it is. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what I like about this is because a spokesman said, We will again investigate whether the premises is operating in accordance with environmental health regulations and the planning permissions required for a B&B. It comes after his neighbour. Becky Greengrass, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, she saw a total of seven people eating meals inside his home on Saturday. <laughs> we just wide open. You draw curtains. All music, Japanese music coming out. Those, those that cross leg don't floor you. Lots of chopsticks everywhere. The 46 year old financial administrator said. I saw at least seven people, which included three couples, sat at tables and eating food. No one was wearing a mask, and there was no social distancing. <laughs> it's right up at window, yes, isn't she? Yes. There. You can just see cat your face like a slapped ass. Stay away from window, Karen. Go yeah. on, do one. Well, there's, well, there's Orlando in his little bloody yeah. sarong or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> what music? Is he allowed up for the occasion? <laughs> slow, slow. So, posts published on public Facebook page under Mr. Williams' address have also advertised meals. <laughs> one, one post published on November 23rd said, 
After lockdown, please come to Orlando's for breakfast, lunch, and supper. You're right. Oh, yeah. Japanese breakfast sounds right. Another post published on November the 13th said, I'm inviting friends to sample my takeaway Japanese dishes this month. <laughs> Ring for information. <laughs> friends. <laughs> when this fresh evidence was put to Mr. Williams, who previously ran a legitimate restaurant called Sakura Yakiniku <laughs> yeah. on Bear Street, he said, I'm not running a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, Ms. Greengrass reported the activity on Saturday to Norwich City Council and Norfolk Police. And she said, I'm gobsmacked. Nobody seems to be doing anything about this. I keep reporting it and going on, and I don't know where to turn next to get it stopped once and for all. <laughs> She's on one, isn't she? She's on a what, crusade. She doesn't like Japanese food, does she? <laughs> <laughs> the grass ain't greener on the other side. Mrs. Oh, Greengrass. <laughs> oh, look at him go. <laughs> but the thing is, he's been. During lockdown, the first lockdown, um, the, the actual reporters were actually able to purchase a takeaway from him. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, in this report, they showed pictures of it. <laughs> were it nice, though? Did they give it a it did, it looked all right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think they went on TripAdvisor or anything like that. But, you know. Partial to sushi and stuff. But they were, were offered the option to dine in after calling Mr. Mm. Williams, who provided a priced menu by text message. Yes, and at the time, Mr. Williams denied running a restaurant once again. <laughs> I like the spirit of this kid. But the thing is, as well, he's put this big sign on the front of his house that says Hollanders. <laughs> he's massive. He didn't say restaurant, just an Hollanders. He says Hollanders, right? Wow. And some people, and he hasn't got planning permission for it, so they've made him tear it down, but it's gone back up. Whoa. And so the, the reporters have actually gone to his house and they said to him, so What's that for? When asked this week about the sign, Mr. Williams says, that is not to do with the restaurant. I'm not going to discuss anything. Right? Oh, it's a Christmas decoration. Yeah, well. that's it. I tell you all these, I'm, Orlando Richards is absolutely determined to run his Japanese restaurant. <laughs> Even though he's breaking every law, I kind of like these yeah, kids. He's, he's got balls, hasn't he? <laughs> Prawn balls. <Yeah. Can't go out, can you? You know, and stuff like this. And that, you must, people must be desperate to go to a, a Japanese restaurant or something. Yeah, it will be. You know, say any kind of when, when things open up again, it's gonna be a shit stop, <laughs> isn't it? You want to go wild? Imagine first nightclub, the first night of nightclub. Oh, no. <laughs> it's just gonna <laughs> be. You need to mop that dance floor. Oh, yeah. oh, say it's gonna be like Armageddon and it blood and smoke. <laughs> You wait for the pers first person to die of yeah. non-coronavirus yeah, yeah, yeah. self. Be it's gonna be bad. Well, here's a story about a bloke who's had enough, right? Mm -hmm. This is a BBC story, and it's um, coronavirus Italy. Man walks 450 kilometres after lockdown row with his wife. Oh, nightmare! So an Italian man stepped outside to cool off after quarrelling with his wife. And ended up walking 450 kilometres, which is 280 miles. Wow, right. he did a full Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah, well, Italians have nicknamed him Forrest Gump on social media. <laughs> After the slow-witted hero of 1994 movie, played by Tom Hanks, who runs thousands of miles across the United States. So please stop the Italian's epic walk at 2am in Fano on the Adriatic coast, a week after he left Como in the north. Well, she, what right have they to stop him? Uh? Well, she, he's breaking lockdown, isn't he? Oh. Yeah. The man, 48, got a 400 euro fine, right? 
uh, for breaching curfew. Oh, that ain't right. Who's he gonna be talking? He's just on the road walking, isn't he? What kind I mean, of? I mean, but the thing is, how up must he have been, I right? Because it's not like he's turned round. I kind of like that spirit. I'm listening to me. I liked Orlando, but this dude's my boy. He's got the same sort of thing, hasn't yeah. he? You know. So it's like you know, you think well, if the, if the man told police, I came here on foot. I didn't use any transport. And he said, along the way, I met people who offered me food and drink. Wow. And they asked him if he's all right. He says, I'm okay, I'm just a bit tired. <laughs> he averaged 60 kilometres daily. <laughs> have you done it? I have a walk of me when I've had a row. I've done it loads. Oh, I've just set walking. I've done it loads. Oh, yeah. I've always come back with tailing between legs and that. But, yeah, I'm a walk of me. I'm really oh, bad. Is that, see, I don't, because I don't like, I don't like a... I don't like a like a ding dong or a bus yeah, stop anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it is that thing if you always have to come home at some point. Exactly, but I'm too. I need to get some out of me. You know what I mean? I can't just sit there. I need to kind of like walk it out, and eventually I'm that knackered. Just like, oh, I don't care anymore. So I want to get warm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't really walk it. I'm never going to be down. I thought it'd be a good few times where you just sort of think, Do you know, what? I just want to go to a pub. I just have to. I'll go down there and go to the pub. You know what I mean? But I think I have got that streak in me. It's just a bit more diplomatic. Yeah, I have to say. Yeah. Oh, I just don't like the feeling of a big old Barney going yeah, on. I hate it. You know what I mean? But I'm a little firecracker. At <laughs> You've never done it at the cove, though, have you? No, not yet. My name's not a walk when it ties in. <laughs> yeah, true. When I'm going to swim, it's getting it dolphins. I'm fucking knack you there. Yeah, of course, I'm not going to go into their patch, man. I don't mind it on beach. So moving away from like uh, the whole coronavirus debacle yeah, now, yeah, you know nice. what I mean? We got to think about the uh, environment, don't we? We do at the moment. It was on teetering on the edge of another yeah, kind of well, meltdown. Well, there's a guy here, right? He's come up with an absolutely fucking amazing idea, right? So. A British multi-millionaire and environmentalist has set out plans to create thousands of carats of carbon-negative, laboratory-grown diamonds every year. Wow. Made entirely from the sky. <laughs> oh, Lucy, my man. Yeah. My girl. Dave, Dale Vince, the founder of green energy supplier Ecotricity, claims to have developed the world's only diamonds to be made from carbon, water and energy sourced directly from the elements at the Sky Mining Facility in Stroud. Sky Mine, that sounds, that sounds good, is. isn't it? Yeah. But that's the thing, you see, we're all, we're all worried about the, like, the nitrogen content, or the, the sort of carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah. But diamonds are just carbon, aren't they? So he's got, oh my God, he's just going to take it out of sky and make diamonds out of that? Yes. Oh, he's he's going to hoover carbon out of the sky. And he's using solar and wind power to, to run the factory. And all the water he's using is collected from rainfall. How does he over it out? Guys, he's got like airships or something, of course. Well, I suppose it's everywhere. So you just have a big vent and just sucks air in. All right. Wow. And, that's, and you condense it into summer. And you, I bet you need a lot for a diamond. So you really yeah, you need to come. Yeah, so that's it. But then oh, it's locked it's in. It doesn't. You can't. You can't sort of unlock it from there. It's not like you can burn it. Yeah, yeah. It's a proper diamond. Yeah. The toughest thing ever. And he just oh, locks in. Oh, I want a sky diamond. A little better than ground diamond. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder what the what the energy. I'd like to see them being used. What the diamonds? 
Well, yeah, I mean, as in sort of, not be, sort of be made, be oh, made. Right, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, like these sort of energies and powers yeah, have been done to make them. And just Superman there gripping it. Oh, oh I can imagine that. He did that, didn't he? Yeah, what, what, cool. what a cheesy bastard he was doing that. I hate the movies, the worst. They are the worst, aren't they? You want an evil one, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one, one that was the evil yeah. one. <laughs> I mean, you were right yeah. <laughs> People started getting on a bus and said to you, didn't they? they said, I, I thought I saw you on the bus the other day, but it wasn't. It was like an evil version of you, Benny. <laughs> right, dark and scowling. <laughs> you know, like on that film where it's a good Superman and bad Superman. It was like that. <laughs> so I look like a bad Superman version of you. <laughs> but, but he says here, he says, and making diamonds from nothing more than the sky, from the air we breathe, is a magical, evocative idea. It's modern alchemy. We don't need to mine the earth to have diamonds. We can mine the sky. Oh my God, look at that yeah. oh, What a genius! He, he's the owner of Forest Green Rovers Football Club, right. right? Which is described as Britain's first vegan f- football club. Wow! So that's all right, isn't it? But they're, they're not very good, though, do you? Is it a plaque ball? And what we have a leather ball? Will no, it? Maybe so. Mm. Maybe, maybe they're all plastic, yeah, probably yeah, will be. Yeah, well, it can't be all like a big skin walloping <laughs> <laughs> around all the time, you know what I mean? You know? But um, I'd imagine the football team gets a bit tired, though, don't you? I've got to say, he's snoozing. Anemic. Give me another almond shake. <laughs> well, I knew that there, was a, there was a vegan um, cycling team that did very, very well. Ah, all vegan, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's all moved on in leaps yeah, and bounds actually, now. Yeah, of course, mates are vegan and he's fucking fit as an horse, isn't yeah. he? You know what I mean? I'll tell you I have tried recently though, which I'm gonna get a little tip to you readers and listeners out there, is um do you know Richmond sausages, the really nasty ones? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've never got why do people buy Richmond's they're nasty, yeah. Oh the vile. But um sorry Richmonds, but what yeah. I will do, I'll flip it on its head and say, I tried your vegetarian the Richmond vegetarian sausages this week. Oh aye. And they are banging bangers. Are they? Stunners. Oh, that's it. If there were an alternate sausage, that one, nice. well, I, I would I, eat the alternate. Well, I can't. Unfortunately, I was eating them for a, a good lady wife. But, um, these are <laughs> some of the best sausages I've ever eaten. And she says, you do realise they're full of wheat, don't you? Wow. <laughs> Which I can't eat. <laughs> oh, what a bummer. So come on, Richmond, uh, let's, have a, let's have a gluten-free version, please. Yeah. You know? But anyway, that's, uh, that's aside from that. But uh, lab-grown diamonds, let's get back to this. Yeah. Uh, a rising in popularity as awareness of the environmental and socio-economic impact of the mining industry has grown. In addition to the bloody conflicts that have erupted in diamond-producing regions, you know, like the movie Blood Diamond and yeah, all that sort of stuff, yeah. yeah? Research has shown that producing a one-carat stone can involve shifting 1,000 tonnes of rock and earth, 3,890 litres of water, more than 108 kilos of carbon dioxide wow. emissions. But the big secret is, you know, that um, diamonds aren't rare. Yeah. They're not a rare, tr- they're not a precious, well, not a precious a stone. Well, that, that's what everyone sort of like, it's same as gold. Gold's yeah. not rare. Well, right, I, thought, yeah. I, know, I know somebody whose job it is at gold mining, a gold mine in Australia. Yeah. They're basically in the mine. They leave the gold, they mine it, they produce it, get it into ready to go, and they leave it there. Right. You know, like on a pallet. Yeah. And it's not, they don't put it through the system because to put too much gold into the system. Ah, messes right? with world rates of it. Yeah. And, this, and the first person to do this was Cecil Rhodes with, with diamonds. Yeah. Because what Cecil Rhodes did, he this is why there's a big debate. I think it's a big statue of him in Cambridge I or something like that. Right. He's a, well, have you heard of the country Rhodesia? 
Yeah, yeah, well, well what, what he basically Cecil Rhodes did was he just went in and just raped whole uh, countries uh, and took them for everything they were worth uh, because there was a massive diamond rush in sort of like the late 1800s it was like a, it was like the gold rush in America yeah, yeah. but there was a diamond rush in Africa and that's right. what he was part of Ooh. and he just took over everything and he, he, he became like one of the richest men in the world but he had a private army funded by De Beers the diamond people yeah but when, it, when they went into all these places and discovered all these diamonds and realised there's not that many, there's so many diamonds really, yeah. they absolutely inhibited and limited the flow of diamonds to make what diamonds were there uh, super precious. Yeah. And they're not really, they're quite just a common stone. Yeah, but the, the, he bumped up the price of diamonds right. and his actions is what's created the blood diamond situation uh, where people get murdered and massacred and people in Africa are just... Uh, basically on, on the uppers, Paul. Mate, I, I you know. saw a clip the other day, and I think it was a mining operation. He didn't really tell what was going on, but at first, because he, he was like this, you know, like this massive uh, expanse, and he looked like a rubbish tip to me. You know, at yeah. first I thought, What's? and you see all thousands of people off in distance, and they're all just stood, and then like a bell or a lap, you know, like a siren goes. And then they just charge across this wasteland, and it's, I think it's the first ones who get to the mine can work in it that day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've never seen humanity like, oh, that Lord of Rings arc in it was absolutely disgusting, you know what I mean? I was, you've yeah. just seen just these ant like people, and just thinking, my God, who's controlling this shit storm? Yeah. Absolutely awful. So that's the thing. So we've got, if you, if you look at what the, the environmental impact there is of mining a diamond is, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Where he's he's actually going out there, he's he's helping save the planet with his it, with his sky diamonds. Isn't it? They'll save the forever. Yeah. You know, we've got ourselves, you know, sky diamonds you can make that, right? Yeah, you know. And do you like it? What, what do you think? Do you like mushrooms? Yeah, I've took them on a wheel. Oh, you mean, yeah, you eat mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're lovely, yeah. Fun guys, all yeah, Well, I've got, one, I've got a story here by um, Sean Farmy from foodbeast.com, right? right? And this discovered a Hawaiian mushroom that makes women orgasm just by smelling it. Oh, yeah. Oh, fruity. So Sean says here, he says, right, I have good news and bad news. Let's start with the good news. Scientists have discovered an orange mushroom in recent Hawaiian lava flows that can induce instantaneous orgasms in women just from the odour it gives off. Oh, my God. That's right, chaps. You can get your girl to bust nuts all over the place <laughs> just by having a sniff this thing. <laughs> I was writing that, that's it. Bust Sean Farmy, wow. Bust nuts all over the place. Sean, you're a legend. <laughs> the orgasm triggered by a fungus, or as they're calling it, a fungasm. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they all? <laughs> Is due in part from hormones in the mushroom that are close in similarity to the same ones picked up by our own neurotransmitters. Whoa, that's beyond me, is that? But go on. Yeah. So basically, the smell of this shroom makes the female body think it's having sex. 
Oh. Imagine walking into a sorority house with your pockets filled with these mushrooms. That sounds a bit rapey, <laughs> it doesn't does, it? Yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, why do you yeah. go to that college campus? Bit Bundy-ish. Right, no, but he says, no, whoa, whoa, now take your time. Really let your mind paint that picture and enjoy it while you can. Because here comes the bad news. The orange mushroom smells orgasmic to women and literally caused nearly half of the volunteers from the study to climax. Unfortunately, it smells like weak old horse shit to men. <laughs> I'd put up with it. <laughs> I would. Yeah. <laughs> Ramming me pocket. Yeah. In the International Journal of Medicinal Mushrooms, good read, mm. the discoverers of the orange fungus, John C. Holiday and Noah Soul. Con- that's a good name. That's Noah it Soul, is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I bet he's got a great voice. Yeah. I bet he's wearing a black roll neck with a black chain around it, yeah. a gold chain, you know? <laughs> Concluded that all the male test subjects were repulsed by the fetid smell. So if you're bad in bed and need a little help, go find these mushrooms and hide a bunch of them under your bed. Then grab a clothes peg for yourself and thank me later. <laughs> He's a good writer, I like it. He's all right, isn't he? That's it. I won't do the fun guy, Joe. That's just too much. No. <laughs> that is a weird thing, though, isn't it? That yeah. smell of it. And then it actually ain't getting him ready for sex or wanting it. They're actually He's just pinging that. him off. My God. But they do say, don't they, that... Um, Fungus and fungi, mushrooms and stuff. They're more yeah. closely related to sort of animals than they are to vegetables ah, or anything like that. Plants. Right. Yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not actually in any way closely related to plants at all. Yeah. They're more in relation to like a living thing, yeah, another yeah. thing entirely. And you know, I think even genetically, there's some genetic link as well. Wow. You know, that's so. fascinating. What are them Japanese ones called? Those Japanese shiitake. They're the boys, aren't they? Yeah, yeah I love yeah. them. Yeah, I, I do a um, a Korean one. Uh-huh. Which is really nice, and that's with like pop choy, loads Ooh, of noodles, bean spray, yeah, 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 and loads of mushrooms in yeah. it. But then I just put chicken as well. But you don't, really, to be honest, you don't really need the chicken there. Yeah, just loads yeah. of mushrooms. That's another thing as well. If, if someone said go veggie, I'd be like, right, I want to know every mushroom on the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, you could they're so meaty, aren't they? Really. Meaty. Well, the thing is with the shiitake mushrooms, though, the uh, because obviously now you can sort of like code the DNA of all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, there was a scientist in it. What he did, he just went to the supermarket, bought. A box of shiitake mushrooms, yeah, yeah. and and sequenced each of these mushrooms. And he realised two thirds, or to like three quarters, of the mushrooms in there weren't shiitake mushrooms. They were actually mushrooms. They were of that same sort of genus yeah, yeah. as the as the shiitake. They're just unknown to science. What's that mean? They're just it means because we've been growing them all together and thinking, oh, these are all just shiitake mushrooms, ah. but the complexity of the organism that is a mushroom, ah. they had loads of different ones in there, yeah, and we just didn't yeah. know, so you actually discovered like loads of new species of mushroom just by taking a look at them a little bit more closely. <laughs> yeah, so that's that. it. It's a so, mushroom special. Yeah, so who knows what might be on our supermarket shelves. Yeah. You could be getting a lovely shiitake mushroom there to have some in some nice broth or something, yeah, yeah. or you might have a massive shuddering orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make them for men because the world would collapse. It would just like we would yeah, have to do all the work. We were just there with the <laughs> mushrooms. <laughs> I don't need anything. Give me a pint and a packet of mushrooms. <laughs> Give me a taste of pubs in yourself. Just constantly. It's 20 minute hose down. 20 minute hose down. <laughs> Sprinklers come on us. <laughs> Sort of um, like 
drugs or things like that can have like an impact on you. You know, no, that's it's always yeah, a bit, yeah. bit strange, and what they can make you think or feel or yeah. things like that. You know, but this I found this one genuinely amazing. This is from the Associated Press, so it's like like a general like Reuters that sort of thing. You know, yeah, yeah. and it's cannabis residue found in ancient Jewish temple links hallucinogens with religion. Now I can get behind this, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Because because this has been going on. For, I'm not. I'm not having to go the Jewish religion in any way, shape, yeah, or yeah. form. I just think that all religions, in one way or another, sort of like come from probably like a daddy religion way back, where yeah, yeah, it yeah. was people were using things like as a sacrament, yeah, you know. Yeah. Which I mean, like I said, the uh, the, the Rastafarian religion yeah. that's that, that 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 is based on that. So let's look into it. So Israeli archaeologists say they found cannabis residue on artifacts from an ancient temple in southern Israel, providing the first evidence of the use of hallucinogens in the ancient Jewish religion. In a research paper, the authors say the discovery from an 8th century BC shrine at Tel Arad offers a first proof for the use of mind-altering substances as part of cultic rituals in Judah including the first Jewish temple that stood in Jerusalem at the same time. Wow, That's 2,800 years ago. <laughs> that is mad. And the thing is as well, what I wonder... I wonder where they got it from. Is it now Africa? Because I don't know where it's indigenous to, sort of like... I don't really, but Egypt uh, had it as well. They've always had um, traces of cannabis in Egypt as well. Have they? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that before. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if it would fall to get high or fucking makeup or something, you know what I mean? But they have yeah. used it. Well, as well, yeah. hemp is used for rope yeah, and things yeah. like this, you know. So, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. a massive, um, multi talented plant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a multi-use stuff, wasn't it? So, in the 1960s, archaeological uh, excavations at Tel Arad, around 60 kilometres south of Jerusalem, discovered a stronghold belonging to the ancient kingdom of Judah, and it is, at its core, a small shrine bearing striking similarities to the biblical temple in Jerusalem. But for decades, attempts to determine the composition of black deposits found on two limestone altars from the shrine's inner sanctum, now located at the Israel, Israel Museum in Jerusalem, were inconclusive, so they didn't know what it was. But that's interesting to think these were on limestone, sort of like yeah. slabs, altars. Yeah. So they they probably burned there for everyone within to inhale. Like an like incense a, type yeah. of thing. Never mind your frankincense and myrrh. <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, as well, at the end of that, it was like a Christian thing. You wouldn't just want a host, would you? You want a full pack of Pringles, wouldn't you? <laughs> Get the hobnobs. <laughs> Once you pop, you just can't stop. <laughs> but don't drink wine with it. No, you no, no, you're a spin out of control. Yeah, yeah that's a massive whitey. <laughs> but I think I think it's absolutely amazing, you know, because what they're saying this was um, this was the Iron Age wow. of that era. You know, that's what's yeah. classed as the Iron Age, apparently. You know, um, but you know, I think that's pretty pretty weird, but. So Eran Airy, a curator of Iron Age archaeology at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem and lead author of the study, said the discovery was revolutionary as it was seen as the earliest evidence of cannabis use in the ancient region and the first time we've seen psychoactive substances in Judaite religion. And the absence of cannabis pollen or seeds from the area in ancient times indicates that cannabis was likely imported over large distance trade routes. Possibly in the form of resin, known colloquially as hashish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scoring off Egypt, wasn't it? 
That will be 16 days. <laughs> <laughs> going out waiting on corner for a chariot to rock up. <laughs> All right, mate. Don't let the centurion see you, but he's really good shit. <laughs> oh, this is a crap squidgy black you got us again. It's got 16 days to get back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But I think it's um, the, the chemical analysis from Talarada Alter should it was burned atop dried animal dung as well. So there you go, they coin it. Even battling them cheeky ones. Ah, this stuff shit. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two points for this yeah. though. Uh, one, I can't remember where, and I don't want to bring the bloody badgers stone circles into it again. But it's a, it, someone was saying that it could be the evolution that what took us from monkeys to men could have been as knowing on the old drugs you know just naturally with the spark that created you know man's consciousness or something like that whereas eating some psychedelia so psychedelic sort of or psychotropic exactly and it just took us away we started looking at stars more and and started looking at the bigger picture rather than just the hunter gathering picture of things and stuck plus the building of the monolith you know (laughs) the monolith uh, (laughs) you know the kind of structures kind of came from that uh, all right and a second one as well um, in George no, I'm going to say Aldous Huxley's book. Aldous um, Huxley. Doors yeah. of Perception, Heaven yeah. or Hell. Yeah. Uh, everybody reads the f- first book in it's, it's two books in one. Because uh, if you're a Doors fan, it's like a rite of passage. You oh, know, right, yeah. But the second part of the book, it kind of goes into the um, how religion tames man. And so you imagine like 300 years ago or something like that. Um, you're starving. You you haven't really had a nutritious week, you know. What yeah. I mean? You're kind of saving the stuff for a, on a Sunday, but you, you go to church first, don't you? Yeah. So you've knackered from week. You're there in your finities. You go to church, and then you got to chant. You got to sit down. You got to stand up, kneel down, stand up, sit yeah. down, stand up. Yeah. And you're doing all that like, oh my god. And then you suddenly look up, and the stained glass windows are all shining light through, and the yeah. chalices, the incest, and the preaching and the chanting. It's just completely hypnotising you naturally, you know what I mean? So you yeah. think it's a massive part of religion, is that kind of... Getting uh, off your knackers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just instead of smashing one of this man, you should be smoking a doob. <laughs> just, just knock the top off and set it in a big bong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're looking for here now, folks. Who's the first person to smoke a monolith? <laughs> Keep her out and reports a cracking curve when you find out. <laughs> the race is on. <laughs> When we take the road once more For the planting and the purling And the berry fields of blur We'll meet up with our kinfolk From all the world around When the gang of bird folk Take the road And yellow's on the broom When yellow's on the broom When yellow's on the broom And I'll get you on the road again but the thing is, you see, not everything you see or witness is induced by hallucinogenics. You know? mm. I do believe there's odd things cited that maybe, maybe even gods, who knows, yeah, yeah. that are, uh, are not induced by sort of uh, something strange that you might be smoking or drinking. So what I've got here, I've got a really strange story I found on on Facebook, and it was in a it was in like a public profile thing, but it was an anonymous account, and I thought. I thought I'd share it, judging especially of our Halloween specials Ooh, and things. Oh yeah, it sounds juicy. Pray yeah. tell, brother dear. Yeah, Pray so uh, so feel free to dive in if you find a juicy little snippet in yeah, this. Yeah. I live on the island of Jersey, and I have done so since I was 18, and that was back in 1990. And in that time I've seen a couple of strange things. 
I once saw a golden basketball-sized sphere that was floating up a valley against the prevailing wind. And on another occasion, there was a mechanical device of some sort that was above my car, emitting the strangest sound and motion. But nothing compares to the incident I had one late summer's eve in 2009. I must preface this account to state that I was brought up in the countryside and lived on a farm, my family having three farms in rural Northumberland, so I'm well versed with our countryside life, both domestic and wild, and the behaviour and sounds of these animals in all their modes, states, and being distressed or hungry or anything like that. Mm. So this guy's like he's been out in the wilds. He knows his stuff. farm boys, you, you, city slickers like us go out there, we'll be shiting it over an owl, won't we? Like, what's yeah, going on? But when you lived out there, you know the noises. What a fox sounds like when it mates yeah. and all that. There's some grim noises, isn't it? They do, yeah. And of course, he'll be out all hours as well. Yeah, you know? so yeah. He's been out in the dark in the wild. He's not scared yeah. of any of that stuff. And it was a hot summer's late evening in mid-August 2009, 10 to 10.30pm. And I was sitting near an open second floor window of a beautiful barn conversion that was part of a rural farm that had recently been developed into high-end living. Being it was in the countryside, it was very peaceful and quiet, especially at that time of night. I don't know how long I was listening, but I suddenly became aware of dogs barking in distress. I got up and put my head out of the window and looked to my left where the sound was which was behind a thicket of trees about 80 odd feet to my left. I then saw this thing just rise up vertically without any motion of any wings to a similar height that I was at and about 10 feet above the tops of the trees which would be about 60 feet in all. This thing just looked like a dirty yellow white mass of of something. It then became absolutely silent, no sound of any sort. The dogs had stopped barking and there was an unreal silence that I have never experienced before. Complete silence. It then beat its wings once and was suddenly level with me. It had travelled 80 odd feet on one flap of its wings and it was now about 15 feet away from my head presenting its full profile. I couldn't understand how it travelled that far with just one flap of its wings. Its head reminded me of a seal's and was the size of a very large dog's, but it had a beak like a parrot which was black. Its eyes were just pools of black and I did not want to look at them. It was just hanging there in mid-air. It actually stopped with no movement back or forth. I then became aware of its wings which were going up again. And that's when I saw that they were like leather, and it gave one flap and was gone. Its wings were about eight feet long, and each made a swoosh sound as it moved them. I looked after it, and it had travelled an impossible distance again, with just one flap of the wings. And then that was that. It was gone from my line of sight, and I didn't get a look at the rest of the body. It was a head, beak, eyes, wings, then gone. One of the crazy things is, my partner at the time was no more than 10 feet away from me when this took place, and I didn't shout for her to come and look, I didn't even tell her about it afterwards. I found myself questioning myself over this incident, questioning my own state of mind, my own sanity. I couldn't comprehend what it was that I'd seen. 
Many times, even years later, I would find myself looking up and in trees when I've been alone in the countryside, walking, driving, whatever, and thinking that that thing could be in there right now and you'd have no idea. It's not like I live in some wilderness, where I am it's only a small island, nine miles by five miles. The other strange thing was the effect that this event seemed to have on time. I don't know how to describe the word, the correct words that would do justice to this effect, that would enable you to have a good understanding of what and how it felt. Something really strange happened to time, whatever that may be. As you can imagine, I've thought a lot about that night since it happened, wondering what in the world could that animal be? Is it a leftover? An animal that is very, very old and somehow had survived in a small pocket somewhere? Is it a modern-day hybrid of some sort, some from some lab or genetic Frankenstein that had escaped or been turned loose? I don't know. But what I am coming around to believing now that it has to be interdimensional. It broke the laws of our physics. It displayed anti-gravity type behavior when it was just hanging in the air. When it traveled the distance it did with just one flap of its wings. An impossible distance if behaving by our laws of physics. So it sits with me well to say that it's probably interdimensional. The only other thing that sits with me well is the conclusion that has come to me that this thing was demonic in nature. There was absolutely nothing with this creature and the experience of seeing it that screamed out any love or light. I was afraid to look into its eyes. I don't know why, but when it was happening there was a voice saying to me, Don't look into its eyes. Don't look into its eyes. Its whole appearance, colour, everything just had a negative vibe about it all. And that's about it. That's a truthful account of what I saw and felt on August the e on that August evening in 2009. Feel free to use my account for your work if you feel the need. Wow. So what do you think of that? Horrifying. Absolutely puke-inducing. You'd have to lock me up. That is absolutely... Can you imagine that? No, I don't want to. That is dark. Isn't well, it's it? like a, it's a, for a start, it's like an owl man, moth man type being, isn't it? It's of it's the same entity type, I'd say. It's definitely a bit worse. That seal scare me. You know, it's always a cute seal. I would not like to be in the sea with a seal. They're no, just, just rip me apart. They'll just eat its way through your stomach as soon as look at you, But then with the parrot's beak on it, all black and big swimming eyes and leathery, flappy wings. Oh. Like, that is madness, is that? Hopefully. It's madness. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that bit you, you, when you really boil it down and just the physics and everything else to it. It's just like that is not from this world. You know what I mean? It, it is not of this realm. Yeah, man. Yeah. Absolutely. That is he's a cross-dimensional fucking demon. Is yeah. That? And the only other thing you can actually sort of think is, you know, well, he's imagined it. Or it's created in his own head or something. You know, and you think. Why would you create that with yeah. such detail? How would you create yeah, that with yeah. such detail? It happen. It doesn't happen to people just like a complete, vivid hallucination. 
when it's just one thing, is it? You know no. what I mean? It's like that. It's a really specific kind of thing that I've never heard of anybody having stuff like that, even people who are quite ill. Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's totally new to me. I think it's absolutely oh, bizarre. Oh, that is a great story, though. Horrifying. Wow, it is yeah. absolutely horrifying. Um, did he say where it was? He said it's on a small island. Isle of Wight. Wow, Isle of Wight. Yeah. Ooh. But do you know the Isle of Wight isn't spelt W H I T? Isn't it? No, it's W I G H T, which means oh. the Isle of Ghosts. You're joking. No. Wow, the Isle of Ghosts. <laughs> I want to go now. A white is a ghost. Wow, why is it called that then? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. I must admit. I can look it up. Yeah, we'll look, look, nice yeah. Maybe for the next, uh, next episode, I'll yeah. get back to you on that. A bit late at the cove, our kid. Uh, it is all cracking wow. on, you know. So we're gonna have to. I'm gonna, we're gonna have to wrap things up with this yeah. one now, you know. But you know, you've had a bit of a chill of an animal visitation, yeah, haven't you? Chill now, with something that. like that. So because it's this particular season now, yeah. Know, I've got another animal visitation to a home. Mm. The McCormicks went for a silver, pink, and blue theme for their Christmas tree. The old plastic leaves were worn, but looked beautiful with baubles on each branch and twinkling lights. But this year, the family tree included one very unexpected ornament. A wild and somewhat confused baby koala. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is going to be interesting, actually, because you might strike yeah. a few myths here. Yeah. So on Wednesday, 16-year-old Taylor was the last to leave the family home in Coromandel Valley, Adelaide, around 3pm. She made sure the dog was outside, closed the back doors and turned off all the lights. But when the whole family arrived back at 6pm, something was odd. I think the dog went straight to the Christmas tree and was sniffing round and Mum thought it was a bit weird, said Taylor. There was baubles all over the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and she looked up there. There was a koala in the oh, tree. Oh, how cute. A Christmas koala yeah. little hat on. Yeah. It was pretty tangled up in all the lights. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. <laughs> it was a fake tree and very old, but she was still trying to eat the plastic leaves off oh, of it. Oh, bless you. Oh. I saw it munch down some, but she stopped when she realised it was plastic. <laughs> so Taylor's mother, Amanda McCormick, said she was in shock. I thought, is this a joke? I thought one of my kids maybe put some sort of soft toy up there, but no, it was a live one. We've had them in our trees before, but not inside on our Christmas tree. It must have crawled in when the doors were open. It would have been in our house for at least three hours. Oh, she's probably got a bit pecky. She's gone for a little snack or something. A little baby The good thing is, the family immediately called the Adelaide and Hills Koala Rescue. But co-founder D. Hearn Helen said the group didn't believe the story at first. The call went through to our 24-hour hotlines, and of course the operator at first thought it was a prank call, Hearn Helen said. Apparently it took a little bit of confusing. Amanda really did have a koala in her Christmas tree. It was just so gorgeous, just seeing it seen there and looking. The rescue team quickly arrived to desangle the koala, which Taylor had dubbed Daphne. <laughs> Daphne the koala? It's adorable. Yeah. yeah. So it turns out Daphne's a juvenile female, around three or four years old, and in good health. 
she posted a TikTok of the koala in the tree, did the, the, did the tailor. <laughs> 16,000 likes, that's not bad. <laughs> that's good, yeah. Better than any Robo Pizza, didn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's trying. He's Get trying. your ass out of it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> But nobody believed it first. But anyway, as it happens, now the koala's in good health and it's in good hands at the moment. Oh, and they've had a koala good. in the Christmas tree. Oh, that's so cute. I love that you want a real tree and it were in it. It was proper plastic, blue and white. And yeah, real, real fest. <laughs> it's weird because it wouldn't, it's a great wind-up for when British people go to Australia, the Aussies insist on winding up that the koalas are a vicious, evil beast that drop from trees and scrape your face off. That was the known as the drop bear, wasn't that's it? That's it, <laughs> drop bear, yeah. yeah. Um, I always thought, oh, yeah, great wind up, but there were an Aussie somewhere not so long ago that could have nearly got me to believe it again when I'm in England, you know what I mean? I'm thinking, is, is it real, Lenny? Are they a bit of a vicious fucker? But I don't think they're not, are they? No, no, no. But yeah. the, it, what you have to remember, though, is it, it's marsupial, and there were marsupial lions, but really ah. dangerous creatures which are related to the koala. Right, you know, yeah. because so you're they're in the blood, if you're going to poke it around with a Christmas tree, it's going to have a go at you. I think it'll have a bite of your finger or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. But yeah. what you have to remember, you've got to be careful about them, is um, they, they are, because they're all a bit doped up all the time, because yeah, yeah. the leaves has a sort of a bit of a soporific yeah, effect on true. them, you know. Yeah. But also you can get chlamydia off a koala. <laughs> what if you fuck it? <laughs> Your man Phil wants to be careful. <laughs> yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he didn't actually do it. He just <laughs> if you had to do an animal, what you do? He chose a koala. It was like, why? Because it's cute. That's even worse. <laughs> wow. So yeah, but that means a good Christmas tale. Oh, that's a lovely one. Is that really that? Yeah, yeah, cheers up now, because because now we've done all our chores and we've done some casting at bloody oh, last. Well, we've done job lot then, haven't we? We've got a free night tonight. Oh, that's that bit of monopoly or something. I think I might just get an early night. Yeah, 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 I've got to get up half for it, morning. Where did this shit? <laughs> well, I thought the little elves did that. <laughs> yeah, they did me. <laughs> no little about you, kid. <laughs> so there's just one thing left for us to do, and that's say a big goodbye from Matt. Oh, it's a bigger Betty bye bye from Betty. <laughs> See you later, guys. See there are three ways you may contact Kraken Cold. Either by email at crackandcoldpodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at crackandcold, or Instagram at crackandcoldpod. Ha ha!